0: three of the lecture on the Trinity, the doctrine of Trinitarianism, and if you have not listened to part one and part two, you really should go and listen or watch those parts before you watch or listen to this one. We're going to be kind of trying to land the plane on this discussion. This is probably the shortest block uh, or part of the lecture, Um, but I think it's also really important because we're going to try to take what we have discussed in part one, focusing on our definition of the Trinity. And then in part two, the distinction of God the Father from the Son and the Spirit and the Son from the Father and the Spirit and the Spirit from the Father and the Son. And we're going to try to just land that in terms of the impact on our lives. So let me go back to our opening illustration from part one, that illustration of describing my wife. Um, you know, in that first illustration I was talking to you about how if I gave a un or, or an inaccurate description, it wouldn't depict that I love my wife. If I described her in a way that was incorrect, that would not be a signal or sign of my affection for her. It could legitimately be a signal or sign of disrespect that there's distance or detachment or I'm unaware about who she is. So we want to uh, know whom we love and we want to know them accurately. But let's imagine that I do know uh, my wife accurately. And let's imagine that I gave you every fact I know about Lauren Worley. Let's imagine I gave you every fact, and let's say, just for the sake of simplicity, let's say that there's a thousand facts about Lauren Morley. There's probably 10,000, 100,000. She's pretty spectacular. But let's imagine that there's just a thousand. Would you know Lauren like I know her? I mean, even if you knew all thousand factual things that I know about Lauren, would you, would you know her the same way, if you'd never met her? if you never talked with her, if you'd never traveled with her, if you'd never gone uh, to dinner with her, if you had never spent time on a great day and a bad day with her, if you had never laughed at the same things together or cried about the same things together, would you know her the same way that I know her? Well, obviously the answer to that is no, because knowledge isn't merely information, it's also experience. Knowledge isn't merely a set of facts, it's also encounter. And so we need to move from, okay, I know about God now. You've given me more information about the Trinity, about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. I know that God eternally exists as one essence in three distinct persons, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, um, uh, each of whom is fully God. And yet there is one God. You can say that. And maybe at the end of this, you'll be able to say that and to articulate it that way. You'll be able to talk about the unity of essence the distinction of persons the doctrine of inseparable operations you'll know that arianism was an early church heresy that denied the pre-existence of the son of god the eternality of the son of god you'll be able to know the difference between homoousios that the son of god is of the same substance of god as god the father you'll know that that's different from homoiousios and that the, uh, of a similar substance as god the father that the council of nicaea was important in refuting the early church heresy of arianism you may be even able to articulate that the father was eternally unbegotten that the son was eternally begotten and that the spirit eternally proceeded from the father and the son but what does this mean for worship for mission for obedience what does it mean for the Christian life. And so I'm going to share my screen. And if you're listening along, you won't be able to see my screen, but if you're watching, you'll be able to see it. And uh, hopefully it'll be of some help to you as we roll through this. Uh, you, If you're listening, you can go to the Google Drive folder we've provided a link to in the email that you received with links to the audio and the video. And uh, in there is a slide deck. And so if it's helpful for you to watch while you listen or to print off the PDF and look there, then you can do that as well. But we're gonna talk about the Trinity and the Christian life here. Listen, here's the headline on this section. The Christian life is nothing less than living to the Father through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Christian life is. It is living our whole life to the Father through the Son in or by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some examples. When we read the Bible, the Father is preaching the Son by the power of the Spirit. The Father is preaching the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. The the Son of God is the Word of God. When the Father preaches, it is the Son of God speaking. Okay, The Father preaches through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit or preaches the son by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we pray, we pray, we are speaking to the father through the son in or by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're addressing God, the father we're address. We are able to address him because we have access to him through the son. And we have relationship with the son by the power of the Holy Spirit that knits our heart to Christ Christ who is the home in which we learn to live with God, okay? So when we read the Bible, we are hearing the voice of God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we pray to God, we are speaking to God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we worship through song, we are singing to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christian life and Christian worship is Trinitarian, It's Trinitarian. The church does not know any other God than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we are not Trinitarian, we are not Christian. This is one of the reasons why when you hear, particularly in the South, when you hear people talk about God, it's important that you really try to kind of figure out what God are you talking about? Because nine times out of 10, the the God that people have embraced or rejected is not faithfully described when it comes to the God of the Bible. And that's important. Um, I know it's really important for you to really consider what it means for you to be able to listen to the voice of God and for you to respond to the voice of God and what that means as it pertains to your relationship with God. This is a great quote quote from an early church father. This is actually one of the Cappadocians. This is a a trio of Eastern or Eastern influence theologians, Gregory, two Gregories, Gregory of Nazianzus and Gregory of memory of Nyssa. And uh, so uh, here's a quote from him that I think is really good to talk about the relationship of considering God's Trinitarian nature, uh, unity of essence and distinction of persons. He says, no sooner do I conceive of one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish him than I'm carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as the whole, and my eyes are filled and the greater part of what I'm thinking escapes me. I cannot grasp the greatness of that one so as to attribute a greater greatness to the rest. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. That's an incredible way where Gregory is demonstrating here is that this, there should be kind of a tension that we exist in as Christians. When we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, where when we consider the one essence, we can see the glory of the one. But when we move towards any one of the persons, our eyes are filled because any one of the persons could captivate our whole vision of the Godhead. And so we need to constantly be moving between the distinction of persons and the unity of the divine essence. And the key to doing that is understanding the doctrine of inseparable operations. That when we're seeing the Son, the Father and the Spirit are involved. When we're seeing the Spirit in a focused way, like at Pentecost, the Father and the Son are involved. Now, they may be silent in the story, or that's not a great way to say it. They may not be explicit in the story, but they are there. They are there. It's not bad for our vision to be filled with one of the three persons, but we need to intentionally be, be moving and go, okay, what are the father and the son doing here? What is the spirit of the father doing? What is the father and the son doing in this moment, in the history of redemption or in my life? Because they are working together. So when we think about the impact of this on uh, a few things, one, I want to point out um, the impact that this should have on mission on mission. And you may think when you think Trinity, we may not immediately think mission, Like, but we should. Because sending is something that is rooted in the character of God. The relationships that we were talking about add extra. You see, God the Son is not just eternally begotten from God the Father. God the Son is sent from God the Father into the world. And the Spirit is sent from God the Father and God the Son. You see, sending is something that is rooted in the very character of God. See, the Father sends the Son, the Father and Son send the Holy Spirit, and we as Christians are a sent people. Why? Because we are the sons and daughters of a sending Father. We are united in the sent Son, and we are sent out by the empowering sending of the Holy Spirit. You see, when you think about something like that, you can immediately realize wait, wait a second. Mission or the idea of living sent isn't just something that God tells us to do. It's something that's demonstrated in the very life of God itself. That God the Father sends the Son, and God the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. We are a sent people because God is a sending God. It's, it's essential to the nature of the Godhead. I mean, Jesus says something very similar in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. He says, This is Jesus speaking to God, the father, as you sent me into the world. So I have sent them speaking of his followers and disciples into the world. You see, even right there, you're seeing Jesus make this connection between the life of God, the Trinitarian life and the life of those who follow Jesus, those who make their life with God in Christ. As you sent me into the world, Jesus says to the father, so I have sent them into the world. Fred Sanders, um, he wrote a, a very, a really helpful book. If you were looking for something beyond delighting in the Trinity, a, a next good step would be The Deep Things of God by Fred Sanders. That would be a great next step when you're thinking about helpful resources on the Trinity. He says this in that book The Bible is the story of how God the Father sends the Son and the Holy Spirit to save humanity by being God's own power and presence in a person. That's a really good way of thinking about it. So I, I hope that helps you see that this conversation that can feel really ideological, kind of conceptual, like big ideas on what it means that God is trying you and how that can immediately impact something like mission, living a sent life. It also impacts the way that we think about something like prayer. That when we think about something like prayer, when we enter into prayer, which is, so you know, the dominant way that we enjoy the presence of God, prayer. When you enter into prayer, you're speaking to God the Father. You're speaking to him through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who, as Romans and Hebrews says, lives to make intercession for you, for the people of God. You're joining the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of the father, ruling and reigning. When you pray, you're joining the son of God in his present ministry as he prays to God, the father. And how are you able to do that? Because you have been united to Christ by grace through faith. You're in Jesus. And the one that's holding and keeping you there, the one that has sealed your salvation and the one that gives you the spiritual access to Jesus Christ is who? God, the Holy Spirit. So every time that you pray, you engage in Trinitarian fellowship. And let me tell you something that may startle you. Outside of the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, nothing else in all of creation shares the intimacy that the people of God share with God himself. That's an incredible reality, that when we enter into prayer, we enter into divine fellowship. We enter into the community of the Godhead. We enter into a privileged place. First Peter will say that we are made partakers of divine nature. That's an incredible thing. So I think it's important to realize that this doctrine of the Trinity, it doesn't just mean that we are sent. It doesn't just mean that we engage in prayer in a unique way. The doctrine of the Trinity, as Michael Reeves points out, also means that the love of God is unique, and it's unique in the offerings of divine love throughout the world. You see, because of God's Trinitarian nature, and we'll talk more about this in the doctrine of creation. Because of God's Trinitarian nature, we are created out of the overflow of God's delighting love in himself. And this is profound. You can't miss it. Because God is triune, his love for you isn't merely grace and mercy. It's also delight. And he's uniquely capable of giving delighting love to his people. Why? Because you haven't been created out of his lack. You've been created out of his abundance. Because of the relationship that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit share, because of the imminent or ontological trinity, the ad intra relationship, because God is who he is in himself, creation is the intentional overflow of the delighting love of God to create something to enjoy that love, to enjoy his presence. And so as a result for, of this, the love that God has for you is not just the gracious love that forgives sin, It's not just the merciful love that allows you to exist. It's the delighting love that he invites you into. As you make your home with God in Jesus, God doesn't just forgive you. He fellowships with you. God doesn't just erase your debt. He delights in you. You see that? That is uniquely tied to the character of a triune God. Mike Reeves talks a lot about this in delighting in the Trinity. He talks about the delighting love of God is something that is uniquely tied to the Trinitarian nature. If you lose that, then you are merely a debtor who's been forgiven and you're at best allowed into God's presence. But he's not really glad that you're there. Why? Because he's incapable of delighting fellowship love. He's incapable of it. But because of his Trinitarian nature, the Christian God, The God of the Christian story, the the true God, the only God is a God who creates out of the overflow of delighting love, of the relationship or of the dance between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I hope that encourages you as we think about what do you do as a result of knowing this? Well, you learn to enjoy the delighting love of God. The predominant way that you can learn to do that is through prayer, meditative devotional prayer. Entering into divine fellowship in a moment, in a day, in a week, in a month, unceasingly, learning how to do that. I'm telling you, it's possible to learn how to delight in Trinitarian Fellowship. It also informs how we live in the world as sent people sending is not an optional extra it's not the gravy of the christian life it's not what radical christians do it's what god does and those who follow him and make their life with god in christ it's the overflow of their life because they are united to a sent savior who has been sent by a good father and they are empowered by the sending power of the holy spirit so i hope that's helpful for you so let's let's go back to our definition of the trinity i'm not going to put it on the screen And I want you to try to see if you can say it with me. Okay, I will say it twice. God eternally exists as one essence in three distinct persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God, yet there is one God. Let's try it one more time. God eternally exists as one essence in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each of whom is fully God, and yet there is one God. This is the bedrock of Trinitarianism, and it's the bedrock of the Christian faith. So here are some questions. If you're looking at the slides, here are some questions that you should consider. These would be good questions for you to kind of ask and think through and work through, maybe even jot out the answers in your journal or your responses to these questions in your journal. Remember, you're going to write out a Trinitarian doctrinal statement. So working through these questions will be tremendously helpful for you as you prepare to submit that. But these would also be good questions to bring if you feel like you don't know the answer at the end of these, this lecture to the Zoom Q&A. Oh, that was Slack. I'm going to Turn Slack off. Wow. All right, here's some questions to consider. The first one, how many beings are there in God? I'm not going to give you the answer to these questions right now, but know that some of them are trick questions. How many beings are there in God? Let me ask it a different way. How many essences are there in God? How many substances are there in God? Okay. The next question, is God a person? Is God a person? Who is the source of the triune God? Who is the source of the triune God? Did God the Father die on the cross? Last question. Does any person of the Trinity act by themselves? Does any person of the Trinity act alone? The the proper way to conclude our time together for this lecture is with the Apostles' Creed. So if you can't see it, then you can listen to it. Um, But if you can see it, I invite you to read along with me, even if you're just behind a computer screen or uh, you're watching it on your phone, but I invite you to read along with me here. This is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I am so glad that you have either listened to all of the three parts of this lecture or you have watched all three parts of this lecture. If for some reason you skipped over part one or part two, please go back and listen to it or watch it, okay? I know that it's really easy to want to go right to the application and feel like that's the fun part, that's where the juice is, but I'm going to really encourage you to go back. Um, So as part of this, the next step for you will be to attend the Zoom Q&A, which will be on Tuesday night from 8 to 930. We would love for you to jump in on that. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk through it. Bring your questions around Trinitarianism, and we will talk through them together. So I'm really looking forward to that time. If you are looking for the the slides that I used for the lecture, you can find them in the Google Drive folder that is linked in the email that should have included links to the audio and video as well. If you need that, you can email myself. Worley at mosaicrichardson.com, or you can email Caroline Smiley. I don't know Caroline's email off the top of my head, so forgive me for that. Um, And uh, I look forward to spending time answering questions and talking through questions at the Zoom Q&A. Have a great day, night, morning, wherever you're going.